Welcome to another podcast by Victoria Point Baptist Church. We are glad you have joined us today. If you would like to connect with us as we aim to introduce people to Jesus by connecting with our local community and beyond, you can find out more at vpbc.com.au. Let's pray. Father God, we would invite you now to remind us, to enable us to see the heart of God that we would grasp this unconditional love that you have for us, the freedom and the liberty that we have when we know that we are loved by you. And I pray today that our heart would be open. I pray that we wouldn't be deceived or discouraged by the evil one, but that we would be able to take hold of this message and live by it, build our life on it. It's not enough just to know it, but we actually have to build our life upon it. So, Lord, I pray today that you would enable us to do that. Bring us to that place where this is how we live. This is how we think. This motivates us and drives us all the time, the love of God. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, One of the things that we understand about life is that there's always a price to pay. Uh, we, We reinforce that sort of thing and, you know, that you have to earn it. And through our life, we we grow up with all those phrases, you know, um, no pain, no gain, Uh, early bird catches the worm, Uh, there's no free lunch, Uh, all these little things just to remind us that we should have a good work ethic, that we need to earn the things that we want. And that's true. If we want to go on an overseas holiday, well, we've got plenty of time to save. (laughs) But if we want to enjoy those things, there's a discipline where you need to save your money. If you, as a young person, if you've got this special university that you want to go to, uh, then you need to study. You need to study and get those things in life and to line those sorts of things up. You know, if we go to a restaurant, uh, we, we need to pay. So there is a principle in life that reinforces this thinking and and at that level we understand it. However, we do need to understand that God's heart and God's economy is totally opposed to the way that the world thinks. Uh, We need to come to this place of realising that how God sees us is totally different to how everyone else sees us or how the world sees us. And God's peace and joy and comfort and security and hope is found in things that is totally opposite to what the world says. So for us to really understand it, uh, we have the sense of we have to turn around or, or oppose the principles of the world, the principles that we've been brought up with, the principles that surround us every day. We need to sort of step above that and come to this place of realising this is God's heart. This is how he wants me to live. This is what he wants to say to me. Uh, I remember speaking to a, many years ago, to speaking to a lady who was a Hindu. And um, we were talking about, or she was talking to me about the importance of karma. And basically karma is if you do good things, you store up good points. And if you do bad things, then you get those points taken away. And then at the end of your life, when you die, you're reincarnated. Now, how or where or what you are reincarnated to depends on how many karma points you have. So if you've been good and you've done well and you've done more positives than negatives, then you'll come back in an improved position in life. You know, you'll come as a step up. However, if you do badly and you have negative karma, then when you're reincarnated, you can come back at a lower position. Some people are even reincarnated back as an animal because they've done really badly. While I'm talking to this lady, a cat, not her cat, comes to the back door. (laughs) 
And as you can understand from all those sorts of things, she is compelled to attend to this cat. She doesn't know the cat, she doesn't own it, but unless she acts favourably towards the cat, she could get negative karma. So she feeds and attends to the cat because that's building karma. Not only that, but it could be Uncle Bill. <laughs> because maybe Uncle Bill wasn't such a good guy and he scored badly and he came back as an animal. So this, this lady was driven to look after this cat that she didn't own and she didn't know and she fed it because of karma. I know what I would have done to the cat. <laughs> but what I'm getting at, the drivenness... Now, we might laugh and scoff at that, but I can tell you that's pretty much how we're wired up. Um, since the fall, living in this world, being influenced by our environment, we are pretty much wired up like that. Not to the same extent, but we look at life very clearly with this view of um, we have to earn things. We have to pay a price. Uh, we have to do our share. If we want something good to happen to us, then we have to earn it. And this carries over into how we see God. And to be honest, over the years in some places, I hope it hasn't happened here, but in some places that's reinforced in church. This is what you need to do. This is what your life needs to look like. You need to attend to these things and you certainly don't do these other things. So even within the church, we've painted this picture that our relationship with God is determined by what we do, our actions. They're important. And so... We have this general idea that when we have a good day, so I wake up in the morning and I'm pleasant to my wife and my son. I'm, I'm in a good time. I've read my Bible and done my devotions for weeks, every night. You know, and I'm going somewhere, I'm getting fuel at the service station and I've managed to witness to the person in the next car. And I get home and it's been a good day and I think I've had a good day, God thinks well of me. But when I have a bad day when I'm not so polite at breakfast, when I haven't read my Bible or prayed for weeks. Actually, I'm sitting on the bus and an old lady's standing up, but I can't be bothered to get up and give her a seat. I'm that selfish. When I'm having a really bad day, you know what my thought is? God thinks badly of me. Now, this is the struggle that we will fight, and I know that you all have the capacity to understand in your mind what God's grace is, but it's a real challenge and it's a real struggle to live it to build on it, to believe it. Because how God sees you doesn't change. It doesn't matter whether you've had a good day or a bad day, God still sees you as his child if your faith is in Christ. You're still his child. <laughs> and that's tremendously releasing and, and enabling if we could only get it, if we could only understand it fully. I want to say this, behaviour is important, it's true. I'm not saying how we behave as God's children isn't important. God talks to us about living a holy life and a pure life. I am not saying how we live doesn't matter. What I'm saying is how we live has no bearing on what God thinks of us. No bearing. just want to say that again. How we act, what we do, our actions, our thoughts, whatever, whatever way we fall or fail or mess up, that doesn't affect in any way what God thinks of you. He loves you unconditionally. And that is tremendously releasing and it changes all sorts of things if we could only get to that phrase of building our life on it. And yes, there needs to be balance. And yes, we need to live a holy life. I'm a representative of Christ. We represent his church and his family. And so I need to live a holy and pure life. That's true. 
But what I'm talking about is how God views us or what he thinks of us or how our relationship with him. How we act doesn't in any way affect what God thinks. So this is a little thing that I'd like to still there. It's not our performance that makes us a child of God. It's our position in Christ. It's not what we do, whether it's good or bad. There's no karma. It's not added up, whether we get a plus or a minus. How God looks at us is not determined by our performance, but it's simply he sees us as his child. Now, the immediate thing that we respond to that is, oh, Paul, I'd like to believe that. (laughs) I really would. But I know from my own experience, and I've known from nearly 30 years of pastoring, I know that that is not the initial response. Our initial response, whether the evil one wants to come in and rob it, or our influence of our parents or our bosses or work has been such that we just don't dare believe that to be true. But we need to. You see, I am a child of God because I put my faith in Jesus, I put my faith in him, and because of that, I'm a child of God. I never at any stage earned it. I never at any stage continue to keep earning it. It is not my performance, but it is my faith in Christ. It's my position in Christ. So whatever you do, whether you have more bad days than good days, regardless Whenever God looks at you, he sees his son, Jesus. And the Bible teaches that really clearly. Whenever he looks at you, he looks at you with the same love and admiration, appreciation, acceptance as he does his own son. It's incredible. Because it is not reinforced in the world that we live in. Sometimes it's not even reinforced in churches and church communities. But that's how God looks at us. And the story of the prodigal or the lost son uh, gives us a wonderful opportunity to see and to look into the heart of God. But when you look at the love of the father, here's this son with this list of things that he's done wrong. Lived a pretty wild life. There's a long list of mess ups. Dad, father doesn't care a bit. All the dad wants to do is celebrate the fact that the relationship's been restored. That's all that matters to the father when it comes to that. And if you have your Bibles, well known, I know, but let's read this together some aspect. So the son got up after living a wild life and spending all his money and doing everything that he shouldn't do. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, the prodigal son is well known, and I'm sure each of you have heard it, but most of us miss the point. The story of the prodigal son is not about the love of the father, although that is significant. It's, it's an important part, and we'll talk about it more. The, the, the parable of the prodigal son is not about the father's heart. It's about the attitude of the older son. 
And we know that because if we go to the beginning of verse 15, we see Jesus basically, we're told why Jesus tells the story. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man, Jesus, God's son, welcomes sinners and eats with them. And in view of that, then Jesus told them this story. So the story of the prodigal son has two aspects to it. There's two sides of the coin here. And both of them are important. In fact, they sort of lead into each other. One, you can't have one with the other. Our understanding of grace is vital for us to have a true relationship with God. But our full understanding of grace and accepting it is equally vital as we have relationship with each other. And you can't have it both ways. In other words, if you can't have an understanding of grace and feel secure in God and not accept others. If we are judging and critical of others, if we are down on their mistakes, if we jump on people when they make a mistake, we don't have an understanding of God's grace. Unless we understand it for ourselves, we can, can't show it to others. But this is the thing, it keeps working its way back. If we carry that attitude where we're critical and judgmental of others and jump on them every time they make a mistake, we are not applying God's unconditional love to ourselves. And so it goes around in a circle. We're not happy, people around us aren't happy, and we're certainly not enjoying this liberty and freedom that we have of God's unconditional love. I would suggest to you that it's a cancerous lie, the one of performance brings acceptance. I would suggest to you that it's cancerous, it's a lie, it's deceiving, and it wrecks people and it wrecks families and it wrecks churches. This lie of performance brings acceptance. If I perform well enough, if I do good enough, that I'm accepted. What Jesus is actually wanting to teach here strongly is he doesn't want us to be like the older brother. <laughs> Meanwhile, the older son was in the field and when he came near the house, he heard music on and dancing. So he called out to the one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? He said, your brother's come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never give me even a young goat so that I can celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property, he's been terrible with prostitutes and he's wasted the money, when he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Now, the older son's response is perfectly logical in the world's thinking. The older son's response is probably perfectly logical. I don't know, even if you went to a parenting course. You know, there's consequences and you've got to work, you know. It's perfectly logical. And that's why we have trouble really accepting because God's economy is totally different, totally turned around. His, his desire for the relationship to be restored is far greater than keeping score of all the bad things that the son's done. We are called to live for Christ. We're called to serve him. We're called to give our lives in living out our lives for Jesus, in honouring God. It is impossible to do that, totally impossible to do that, unless we have a grasp of God's grace. Totally impossible. Why? 
Because the only way that God wants us to live for him is out of a heart response. In other words, I live for you because I love you. I live for you because I want to. I live for you because I'm overwhelmed by your mercy, your grace and your love. Serving you is not something I feel I have to do, but serving is something that I want to do. Now I know I have been a good Baptist boy for 58 years or so. And I grew up with long shorts or short longs and broom cream in the hair. And I've been going to Sunday school all of my life in church. And there is always that edge, always that edge. Yes, the story of saved by faith and all those things, but always that edge. You better perform. You better do these things. You better serve. You better do this. You better give. You better do this. And there's nothing wrong with doing those things. However, if we do them for any other reason than that's what we really want to do, we don't understand grace. Because grace gives us freedom to respond to God because we want to. Now, look, I'll be honest. There's some Sunday mornings I don't want to be here. (laughs) There's some Sunday mornings where I think, oh, gee, I'd rather be fishing. (laughs) I'd rather be doing this or that. I mean, there's a challenge. Loving God's not easy saying where you sort of get into that state where everything comes easily but in my heart of hearts and Sunday morning when I want to stay in bed if you would ask me do you love God do you want to do this because you love him I could say in my heart of hearts yes I love him that's why I do this but it's you know we can give our money we can serve on committees we can be on the music team we can be a Sunday school teacher we can do all this stuff but what's really motivating us might be a picture of our parents 60, 80 years ago, hey, you better do that. If you're a good Christian, you're going to go to church twice. If you're a good Christian, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you certainly don't dance. And so we have all these sorts of ideas that, that are flooded into our head where we, our calling is to live and serve God and serve Him faithfully. But this is the key. It has to be the only thing that interests God is that we do it because we want to. And this is a struggle where we fully accept just how good it is to be a child of God, how good his grace is, to understand how much he loves us unconditionally, how our position in the family is not according to performance, but it's simply because I believe in Jesus I'm in. That's so freeing, so good. Last week I talked to you about how God is committed to us, even though when we stuff up and mess up, God's com- he's not going to walk away. And we talked about the flip side. We talked about the fact, once we understand that God's committed to us, that we can mess up and he won't walk away, then we have to be committed to others. In other words, there's a flip side. God's committed to me no matter what. I need to be committed to you no matter what. It's the same with grace. This is the test. This is the challenge. You need both. You need to fully understand it for yourself. But, and if you fully understand it yourself, you show it to others. If you don't understand gross, you're going to beat yourself up and you're going to beat everyone else up. No one's happy. So it's got to be both. There's a flip side. You can't have this, oh, I enjoy God's grace, but you don't show it to someone else. If you're not showing it to someone else, you're not enjoying God's grace. You've made something up. So I want to just say it again. It's not your performance that makes us a child of God. It's your position. Now, this is totally reversed. Imagine if your dad's the CEO of a big company. And imagine that you have some high position, but you're hopeless. (laughs) You're only there because dad's made you the whatever. The world jumps up and down and doesn't make sense, and that's true. You know, we understand that. But in God's economy, it's totally different. (laughs) 
I don't have to perform. There's no day where I have to get up and say, this is what I must do to make sure that God's on my side. If I have a really bad and I kick the cat, and I'm just metaphorically speaking, (laughs) and I don't smile at the wife, and I don't witness, and I haven't read my Bible for a week, it is incredibly amazing, but this is the truth. God doesn't think one speck less of me on a bad day than a good day. It's totally opposite to the world and we have trouble. In the movie, The Last Emperor, The Last Chinese Emperor, they have a scene where someone asks this emperor, what happens when you make a mistake or do something wrong? And he said, well, when I do something wrong, they punish someone else. (laughs) So in the movie, he breaks the vase and the servant gets beaten up. God's totally different. The servant messes up and the king gets beaten up. This is incredible. This is life-changing. We've heard it for years and yet we hardly get excited about it. Why? Because I don't think we fully got it. I don't think we have that express freedom and joy and liberty to know that no matter what I do, God loves me just the same. If I have a really bad day, God loves me. And I'm not a child of God because I perform or I've gone to church twice a week or I've given my money or I read my Bible. None of those things made me a child of God. It's simply my position in Christ. There's a modern day parable that I'd like to share with you. A young girl feels that her parents are a bit old fashioned. Life's unbearable at home. She's not allowed to enjoy herself, so she runs to the big city. She meets a man. He buys a dinner, arranges a place for her to stay. He gives her some pills that make her feel good. She was right. Her parents were keeping her from all the fun. The good life continues. The man teaches her things that men like. She lives in a penthouse and orders room service whenever she wants. Then the first sign of sickness appears and it amazes her how fast the man turns on her and soon she's out in the street. Her pockets are empty, she's hungry, she needs a fix and all of a sudden she starts to think, why did I leave home? My dog back at home eats better than I do. As she sobs, she realises that she wants to go home. So she sends a text to her parents Old story, but I've made it modern. She sends a text to her parents. I was wondering about coming home. I'm catching a bus. Going to be there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, well, I'll just stay on the bus and I'll just keep going. And on the bus, she starts preparing a speech. Dad, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I did the wrong thing. It's all my fault. She hasn't apologised to anyone in years. But then she walks into the bus terminal. Brothers, sisters, great-aunts, cousins, even a great-grandmother to boot, all there with party hats on. Out of the crowd of well-wishers comes a dad. She begins a speech. Dad, I'm sorry. I know I've done... He stops. We've got no time for that. No time for apologies. We're late for a very important party. I hope somehow today you're able to take in the unconditional love of God. If your faith is in Jesus, you are a child of God. You never earned it. You never will. You never have to. Now, this totally changes how we look at everything. And to be honest, it totally changes how we relate to each other, what we expect of each other, the performance code that we live by. I want to tell another story, and I like this story because it challenges even me. It goes even further than I'd like to go, but it displays what true grace is. 
Let's say you're walking down your driveway and you notice the 15-year-old next door backing out in his dad's car. You're worried because, A, he's 15, he doesn't have a licence, but you're also concerned because you know there's a lot of trouble in his house. And you watch as his car lurches and jerks to the right and ploughs down your letterbox, your garden and your front fence. And the boy steps out of the car with his look on his face and you have three choices. The first choice is to treat him justly with justice. You give him what he deserves. All right, kid, you messed up, so I'm going to call the police, I'm going to tell your parents, and then you're going to pay for the damages. If you treat this kid with justice, you're not a bad person. You're simply giving him what he deserves, no more or no less. However, you might choose to treat the kid with mercy. Mercy is giving someone a little less than they deserve. You say, I'm not going to call the police, but I am going to tell your parents and you're going to pay for all the damages. You're doing the kid a favour, the writer says. He should be thankful you're choosing to be merciful. He's getting less than he deserves. But it's possible there's a third option. You can treat the kid with grace. You messed up, kid. You mow down my lovely letterbox and my petunias or whatever, my garden. You flatten my fence. But I'm not going to call the police. I don't want to cause you any trouble at home. And as for the letterbox and the front fence, I can fix that any time. But how about you and me get in the car, we go to McDonald's and I find out a little bit more about you and what's going on in your life. How do you respond to that? What's your choice? Because that even goes further than I'm comfortable with because it says, oh, that kid's just going to run down someone else's letterbox. Yes, he might. But that's the risk of grace. You know, you've heard this from me before, but I, I could just spend all day quoting stuff here. I won't keep you. But Swindle says this, unless you preach a grace that can be abused, you don't preach grace at all. In other words, if I water down this in one iota, if I add one condition, one tiny condition to anything about say by faith alone, it stops being grace. And I'm prepared to take the risk. Why? Because if you get it, if you stumble upon it, if you are open to receiving all that God's grace really truly means and you understand it fully, it will change your life. It will change the life of those people around you. And the reason that I'm prepared to take the risk this morning is this, because it is so easy for us to go back into a performance acceptance mode. So easy for us to go back and demand. And I'll tell you how easy it is. What if that story was true? What if the kid next door ran over your letterbox and knocked down your petunias and knocked down your fence? What would be your response? What would be mine? I can guarantee you that part of us all going, he has to pay, he has to pay, he has to pay. That's not grace. It might be mercy, it might be a bad form of justice, but it's not grace. And I want you to know this. Every day, God's attitude towards us is one of grace. Don't worry about the fence. Don't worry about the garden. Let's go on down to McDonald's. Let's chat. I want to know some more about you. (laughs) It's incredible and it's life-changing. All that God wants us to do is to come home. I've told a few stories today. I really haven't talked much about the Bible. We've looked at the prodigal son. I haven't talked about abusing grace, I haven't talked about denying ourselves, I haven't talked about discipleship, there's lots of things I haven't talked about. And if I 
preach like this every week, at some point there would be some, comp, you know, some complaints. <laughs> but this is why I'm willing to take the risk. Every single aspect of the Christian faith, every one of them, only makes sense or only falls into place when you have an understanding of grace. Nothing will make sense, nothing will work, you won't have joy, you won't have it in abundance, you won't have freedom, you won't have all the things that Jesus promised, you won't have that abundant life until you get grace. I don't care who you are, what you do, and you can keep doing it for 50 years, but you're going to get the same result. And this morning, this is a little unfair, but I'm going to apply it to myself as well. If you think you have a hold of grace, this is the test. You'll know right now. Instantly you'll know whether you've got grace or not. When someone really messes up badly, are you like the older brother or are you like the loving father? Because if your initial response is like the older brother, then we haven't got grace. And we need to get it and we need to take the risk to believe it's true. Not just for ourselves, but for those around us. Reverse the situation. You're the one driving out of the... This might be true for some of you. I know in some families it is. You're backing out of the driveway <laughs> and you run over someone's fence and you run over their garden and you knock down their letterbox. <laughs> what would you do to someone who said, don't worry, it's all good. I can fix that anytime. Why don't we go down to McDonald's and let's get to know each other? How would you feel? Do you know that's happened to me? I was at the Alex Hills car park once and I had to do a wee. <laughs> so I had to go into the shopping centre, I was busting. So I got in the car, I was a bit of a hurry and I ran into the shopping centre and over the PA system they say, the person who owns car such and such, such and such, Rego, please come out. Well, I have so many cars, I don't know what my Rego is, so I just ignored it. <laughs> and I come back out and here's my car wedged sort of in under this other car. Now, the security guy, this is making his day, he was like, you know, he was like a policeman overnight. He had, <laughs> he had his notebook out and he was taking my details and making sure that everything went right and blah, blah, blah. He had a great day that day. Do you know, I rang the guy, he's a Kiwi. What, a, what great people Kiwis are. Because it did do a bit of damage and I thought, oh. He said, mate, don't worry. He said, I'm a panel beater. I can paint that, fix it up. You just have a good day. I don't even care. I'll look after it all. This sense of relief and the sense of how good is that and oh, isn't that wonderful? When is the last time that you woke up in the morning, thought about God's grace and what he thinks of you and what he's done and you go, oh, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that brilliant? Isn't that great? I would suggest it's a little while since we've done that. But if we've got grace, we'd wake up every day and do it. Every day. Let's build this new year on a wonderful old promise. God is gracious. He's gracious to you. And when we get it and we're in our sweet spot and we're like pigs in mud, yes, we might knock down the odd letterbox, <laughs> run over the odd petunia, knock down a few fences. Yes, we'll do that. But you know what? It doesn't matter. And when we get it and someone knocks down our letterbox, it doesn't matter. So the test today, it's a hard one because it challenges me. 
if someone really, really messed up and did something badly by you, would you be like the older brother or would you be like the father? I think we've all got a little way to go, but it starts with the right heart attitude. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you so much, oh, so much, that your economy is totally different to the world's. From the moment that we open our eyes, from the first steps that we take, from the moment that we walk, we're told, no free lunches, no pain, no gain. We understand we've got to pay for everything, we've got to earn it, and that's fair enough in life. But we don't earn your love, and we don't earn a position at your table. We don't earn it when we call Jesus our brother. That's the gift of grace where we're given far more than we could ever deserve anyway. Father God, I pray today, if there is anyone here today who hasn't had an encounter with Jesus, that you would just plant this seed. I want you to know today that God loves you unconditionally. His commitment to you is not based on how good or how bad you are. He just loves you unconditionally. And like the Father in the parable, all he wants is for the relationship to be restored. If you are here this morning and your relationship with God is out of whack, all God wants is for it to be restored. All God wants is for you to come home. Did you make your response this morning? Maybe you've been around church for 50 years and you know Grace, you don't need to be told Grace. Paul, you talk about this all the time, come on. <laughs> I want to ask you, when someone messes up, 